0: Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, won't you please open up to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And Mark is the second gospel in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Yes, Lord, we do pray this morning that uh, as we come to your word, Lord, we want to come with A real desire that pleases you. Lord, worship is not just an expression of songs and words and thoughts, but it's a posture of the heart. And so, Lord, this morning we want to pray that, Lord, our hearts would be fertile soil for the word. And that, Lord, this morning your spirit would just move in us, bringing about the message we need to hear Today, for such a time as this, we pray. And help us to respond, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we finished up with Nehemiah last week, and um, Nehemiah chapter 13, and the title of last week's sermon was When All Is Said and Done, What is the State of Your Heart? And so, we're going to spend the next uh, Uh, Two weeks unpacking that a bit, well, specifically this morning, in uh, the great command that Jesus gives to uh, a question that is posed to him by a scribe. And we're going to quickly read the text in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, and he's asking Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God, notice what comes first, with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you notice that Jesus is the first person to break up loving God into the bits and pieces of our lives. If you remember Mzamo preached on Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Notice how detailed Jesus is. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Verse 31, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that, this, that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him, ask him any more questions. We're looking at, this morning, this great command that Jesus gives, particularly in continuation with Nehemiah's theme of chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13 about, when all is said and done, what is the state of your heart? And this morning, we're going to be looking at, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, And with all your soul. And I'm going to lump the soul into the heart this morning because the scribe does it. When the scribe repeats what Jesus says, he simply says, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, he lumps the soul and the heart together. In other words, this morning we're going to be looking at what does it mean to love the one and only God with our entire inmost being, our hearts. That seat where our motivations, our desires, our passions, our longings, how do we love God with our hearts, totally and completely? And interestingly, before we dive into the nitty-gritty detail about how to do this, it's important to clarify in Jesus' mind what love is, okay? Okay. In Jesus' mind, love is not sentimental. It's not an emotion that you just feel all soppy and oozy towards everybody. No, no, no. That's not what love is. And for those of you who've been married for some time, you know that's not what love is like. It's very important that when Jesus answers the scribe, he answers with two commands, not one. That's the first thing we need to see. The scribe's role in Israel, these lawyers they were called, they were responsible for taking the Mosaic Law and writing commentaries on them so that the average israelite you and me would be the average israelite would know exactly how to keep all of god's commands and remember that's quite tricky maybe in scripture um, they want to keep the sabbath day holy well then the scribes will go what will that mean Well, you can't walk so far on the Sabbath. You can't light a fire on the Sabbath. They would unpack the law in a way with these commentaries that would help people apply it to their lives. And that's why it's the scribe who asks the question. And a good teacher always tries to simplify the subject. I mean, if I'm trying to preach in a very complicated, long-winded way that you eventually just don't know whether I'm at A or Z or C or D, it's not helpful. And so the scribe wants to summarize, and he asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, what do we have to focus on simply that we can fulfill all the rest? But Jesus doesn't give him one answer, he gives him two. And the reason why he doesn't just stop at love the Lord your God with all your heart, but gives love your neighbor is this, is that we can kid ourselves that we love God but we can't kid ourselves that we love our neighbor that person in your family that little younger sister or older brother that you can't stand maybe it's a sister who keeps wearing all your clothes or like me i stole my sister's bubble gum these these sibling relationships and family relationships maybe it's a husband you just get so angry with your husband you get so angry with your wife. You can kid yourself that you love God who is unseen. You can't kid yourself that you're honoring God in your relationships with people that you can see. And this morning, you need to know that love is not sentimental. Love is not a feeling. Love is practical obedience. Love is displaying commitment to God not just in our unseen worship of him, but in the day-to-day, face-to-face relationships that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And so this morning, we have to clarify in our minds that when God asks us to love him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, it is fiercely Practical. And this thing of hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. That hearing wasn't just, tick, I understand that theological concept, or tick, I understand that this is what is being said, I've grasped the concept. No, no, to hear to the Israelite was to do. And so the two go together. This morning, do you want to assess your love for God? How's it going in the relationships around you? You want to assess your commitment to the Lord, how is it going in the way that you treat your neighbor? And remember, Jesus clarifies who that neighbor is. For the Jew, in the Jewish mind, that neighbor was the person who was a fellow Jew, the person who thought the same way, had the same belief systems, had the same worldview and understanding and customs and culture and language, perhaps even the same color. No, no, no. Jesus clarifies in that, that story of the Good Samaritan, man, the, the person who was The good neighbor to the guy who got beat up and chucked on the side of the road wasn't his fellow Jews. It was a Samaritan. The person who thought totally different to that Jew. In actual fact, the enemy of the Jews. And so this morning, this call to love, it is radical. It is radical. It is something that is gritty, earthy. It comes out in our practical way that we speak and we live and we move. And that's why Jesus is so detailed. He could have just said, love God. What does that mean? What does it mean to love God? You explain it to me. I don't know. Does it mean that I've got to think nice thoughts towards him? No, no. As soon as you start to unpack it, you start to get practical. You love God with all your heart. This inward being of your person, your desire, your emotion, your motivation, it's towards the Lord. He unpacks it. You love him with all your mind, your thoughts. You steer them towards Christ. You love him with all of your body, all of your strength. Every aspect of your being, of your nature is being unpacked detail by detail, practically in loving God. And friends, we've got to know this morning that this command, it is radical. And it is totally different to our natural understanding of where we see things as human beings. When the scribe answers Jesus and repeats what he says, and he says, you're right, teacher. He calls Jesus teacher. Jesus is, says in response to the scribe's response in verse 34, it says, he says, and when he noticed that he answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, the very fact that this scribe, this is important, the very fact that this scribe could see what this command meant, meant that he was getting spiritual help from God. Because you see, the natural inclination of your life and mine, the way that we're born, is to live for ourselves. Fundamentally. The way you and I were born is we think about one thing first and only. What's in it for me? And our entire orientation of life, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, live in such a way that we are orientated to satisfy ourselves first. And friends, this morning, until we begin to see what this command means, we're blind to it. Because what Jesus is really saying is this what God is asking of us in loving Him is a radical reorientation of our entire life. Every aspect, every faculty of our being, every component of our body, mind, and spirit is to reorientate ourselves towards God. And this love command, it is powerful. It is so anti the flesh. It's so anti our natural way of thinking. It's literally saying the way that we used to think, the way we're born with thinking, we have to die to that. And with the help of God, every single fiber of our being has to live for another. And that person is God. We live to satisfy and please him first. And that works its way out. And where we honor him with each other. And so, we love others as we love ourselves. And friends, until we grasp that, we cannot really live for God. You see, what happens is until we see that our lives were born into this world to fulfill this command to give glory and honor and pleasure to God first... We're in a colossal struggle with the Father. He's going, I want you to live for me. We're going, I want to live for myself. You know what the scripture calls that? It's called rebellion. And in actual facts. this is why God, Jesus Christ, speaks of the heart first when talking about loving the Lord, your God, He starts with the heart because the real issue in you and me at birth is the rebelliousness of our hearts towards him. And Jeremiah 17 verse 9 is radical in its assessment of your heart and mind. It is totally different to what the world says. Are you ready for it? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Wait, 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 Matt. Disney tells me I've got to follow my heart. Don't you know? It's just so warm and fuzzy. I was thinking about all of these animations, which I love, by the way. But Disney tells me, talk show hosts tell me, when I talk about when I'm processing life, what does my heart feel? I really feel my, you know, I've got... Friends, this morning we need to know the assessment of Scripture is that our heart is deceitful above all things because of this our hearts give us a false mirror of what we are actually like. Remember this concept. If we really come to an understanding that our hearts are really after our own self and pleasure, its appetites and security, it's on a different track to God. And so what our hearts tend to do is when we look into our hearts to give us a reflection of ourselves, it's a bit like, those mirrors at a circus, right? And you look into the one and you squish like a dwarf, and you look in the other one and you're all nice and thin, or maybe that you're horribly wide. Um, that's what our hearts are like, is we have this natural instinct of protecting self. And that means when we look at ourselves for a real reflection of what we like on the inside, our hearts give us a distorted image. And so, when we ask our hearts to assess ourselves, it'll tell us, no, no, you're much better than that other person. No, no, no. Don't worry about that, oh, that preacher talking about sin. You're fine. You're a good person. In actual fact, you're a great person. Friends, our hearts deceive us. And some of us here this morning, our hearts don't necessarily always deceive us about how good we are. Our hearts also lie to us how desperately we are beyond help. For some of us here, we have had suicidal thoughts. We have even had suicidal tendencies because we have believed the lie that our heart has told us that we are beyond reach. And so... If we are going to fulfill this command, church, God has to do something radically inside of us. He has to give us a new heart. And Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And what that means is this the heart you and I were born with is rock hard towards the Lord. It's another way of saying we are born stiff necked to God. We don't want to bow to Him, we don't want to yield to this God. We have our own agenda and our own things that we are after. And instead of being tender and soft and supple and malleable and warm to God, we are actually born stone cold towards him. And this morning, there is no hope for you to start fulfilling this command until God does this new work inside of you. I will be doing you no favor of saying you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength because unless God does this inner work of giving you a new heart, in other words, you come to this realization that you have to change towards God fundamentally in who you are, you will not be able to live it out. You will not be able to do it. You might be moral for some time, that habit that you can't kick, you might kick for some a couple of weeks, feel good about yourself. But I tell you, the heart is resistant to change until it is made brand new. The reason why it's a heart that's a stone, it's a rock, it means you cannot change it unless you break it. You cannot reshape it. It will not bend to the will of God. No, God has to do this in us. And do you notice, the thing that struck me about this passage is what Jesus says to the scribe. He says, you've answered wisely, yeah? He realizes this guy has understood dimly what this thing means, but he says, the kingdom of God is near to you. He's not there yet. You see, the big trouble for this scribe In fulfilling this law, the kingdom of God was close to his life. He was almost knocking on the door. He could see what this reorientation of our lives towards God had to be, but he wasn't there yet because why? He only saw Jesus as teacher. He says, Teacher, you're right. The defining moment in the gospels for, for Christ's disciples was when he says to his disciples, Who do you people say that I am? And Peter, being the loudmouth of the of the lot, says, Well, some say you're the prophets, some say you're Elijah back from the dead. But then Jesus turns the question personally and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus says, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah was his Hebrew name, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, we have to come to this place first and foremost that Jesus is not just a good teacher. Is that why you're at church this morning? Because you maybe need some good pep talk advice about how to reorientate your life and maybe get your business straight. Are you here this morning out of a superstitious insurance policy of needing Jesus to kind of keep your sin at bay so that if he comes, you can keep one foot in the world but still kind of keep your foot in heaven? Is Jesus a Sunday school poster? Is Jesus a tradition that you've inherited from your parents? Who do you say Jesus is this morning? Say, I can ask you and say, what did people say Jesus is? And you can go, well, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came and died on the cross for the sin of the world. No, 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 I want to ask you this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Because based on that, you'll be given a new heart. Until you see Jesus... That he is the Christ. In other words, he is the sent one from heaven, not just to teach good advice, and he does have good advice, not just to be a nice person, not just to give a hope of some form of healing, not just to be an interesting prophet that other people admire or a philosopher. No, no, no. He is sent on mission. That is the Christ, the Messiah, with a mission from the God of heaven to come and deal with your sin and mine. And he's divine. He's the Son of God, and that means He's on par with the Father. That means this command of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, it is the same. We are called to love Jesus with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Remember, love is practical, practical obedience, and the way you start is, is you bow to Him as Lord and Savior. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Is he the hope of the forgiveness of your sin? And this morning, what he says to the scribe has a double meaning. He says, the kingdom of God is near to you. The first is, that's an encouragement. Jesus doesn't rebuke the guy for being slow. <laughs> but he encourages him. I want to ask, how how close is the kingdom of God to your life? Because until you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is shut to you. And every Christian who unpacks their hope, my hope this morning is on nothing else except that I have seen, by the promise of God's word, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the truth. And the life, and there is no other way to the Father. That's my hope. And that's what I build my life on. And I guarantee, if you will come and you will receive that revelation from God for you today, if you will come and bow the knee and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. This is for sinners, guys. This is not for people who are good and prepared to receive it. This is for people like you and me who sin. When we leave, out this, leave this door, we're not so nice as we were at church. That's what that gospel is for. You know what you like when you're at home. I know what I'm like when I'm at home. This is for people who need Jesus. And I want to say this morning, everything rests on who you say Christ is for you personally. And have you come to that point? Because until you do, God cannot put his spirit inside of you. That's what it talks about in Ezekiel 36 verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You will receive power from God in heaven. The moment you come to faith in Christ, where you put all of your eggs in Christ's basket and say, I trust in nothing else except this revelation that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I take hold of him with faith in my heart. The second you do that, God's spirit comes into your heart and he gives you and new life on the inside when does life begin it's a philosophical question but I want to say it's the moment that first heartbeat happened in your mommy's womb first second that soul started to divide and there was life there was this rhythm there was this beat of God that was coming miraculously from heaven it is the same for the believer He gives you a new heart and it begins to beat for God That's the heart of flesh. Friends, do you have that heart inside of you this morning? Because you see, until that's there, there will be no possibility of reorientating our lives towards him. Our hearts won't bend. And when Jesus is talking about this kingdom of God being near, he's saying we have to be as radical as that. We have to change kingdoms And just like you were born, a South African, most of you, maybe from another country, you were born with that citizenship, with that law, and that government over you, so we have to be born again. We have to enter into the kingdom of God, and that happens just as you were born a South African, you're reborn a citizen of heaven. And instead of having Satan and this regiment and government and this kingdom of darkness that we were born into, ruling over us, we are born again into this kingdom of heaven. And because of that, and this newness of having this heart of flesh towards the Father, there is this radical reorientation towards God. And that's the start of living a life of loving God with all your heart. But I want to briefly close on four points. The problem is this, and this is very important, Even though as Christians we receive new hearts of flesh, they can still be faulty. They can still wonder. And remember from Nehemiah chapter 13 last week, in Proverbs, we said, Proverbs 4.23, discussing Nehemiah chapter 13. The command in scripture is, above all else, that's pretty strong. Above all else, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. May I say this this morning? It is increasingly becoming my conclusion that the reason why Christians find themselves in so much trouble, myself included, in this day and age, it is because we are so careless with our hearts. Remember what John shared at, at, during worship last week before we, we went? He talked about the training of the Olympics. And he said these guys trained 24 7 just for this discipline, this kind of thing that they have to do. And he quoted that scripture Fix your eyes on things above. In other words, we have to be attentive to our walks with the Lord and Proverbs 4 verse 23 is strong it says above all else that's strong above all else that means more than the food in our fridge that we've got to restock more than the petrol in our car that we have to fill up more than we know the daily date that we have to kind of orientate ourselves by well, the day of the week we have to guard our hearts and the problem is this is we are so careless about the state of our hearts before God and we said last week, how do we guard our hearts? We said, Well, we have to take a daily stock take of our hearts. Friends, we do it with social media, we check in all the time. We do it with T V series, we do it with WhatsApp conversations. There are certain things that are constantly pulling our minds and checking into you sometimes on a daily basis, but we're so slow with our hearts. And we said that we have to take a stock take of where we are. And so just to repeat last week's point before we go to the next three, is how often do you take a daily stock take of your heart before the Lord? And what I mean by that is, remember our heart is the seat of our emotions, our motivations, our desires. Is we have to guard a warmth towards Jesus best way I can explain it is this some of you have friends right or hopefully all of us have some friends maybe even a a love relationship hmm maybe it's a spouse you know what I've noticed with my marriage with Marina is I've noticed that if I don't check in regularly with her there's this coldness that comes in between us it becomes so professional it becomes we, we're covering the same bases but there's not much desire or passion excitement even warmth and friends if that's what I'm like with Marina my wife in the flesh my beautiful wife whom i love how much more with jesus And for some of you, this might be a new thing for you, that you can actually feel something towards Jesus. That it's not just a ritual or routine, but we have to watch what is our level of desire for him. We have to keep our hearts flesh-like. Remember what, what God says in the book of Hebrews. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the first generation of Israelites in the desert." is our hearts can grow cold. And friends, just as in medicine, prevention is better than cure. I want to say this morning, preventing our hearts from growing cold towards Jesus will prevent some terrible, unnecessary suffering. And as a pastor, I'm going to be honest here, as a pastor, I frequently have discussions with people who have not guarded their hearts and they sit with the mess of having wandered far from the Lord and wasted years because of inattentiveness and by the grace of God they're back I praise God don't get me wrong if that's you this morning and you're coming back to Jesus you are in the sweet spots of faith (laughs) praise God but why waste the time Why play with fire? If we play with fire, we're going to get burnt. And I notice in my life, and it's the same with you, an inattentiveness to our desire for Jesus. And I'm not talking about religious duties and interceding five hours in the morning or fasting five times. I'm just saying, just keeping your heart connected to the reality of Christ. Day by day, checking in. If you're going to the photocopy machine, Oh, Jesus, you there. Oh, I'm just grateful you're with me. Keeping my heart alive to the fact that Jesus is alive and being tender towards him. First thing, have you taken daily spiritual stocktake? Where are you with the Lord this morning? That's the first thing of being vigilant over our hearts. The second is this. We have to keep watch on where our treasure really lies. Remember we said... That our hearts, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, our heart is where our treasure lies. How do we know where our treasure lies? This is very practical. I want to give you a challenge this week. I did it yesterday. There are three things that we know that we can look at in terms of outflow in our lives that help us know what our treasure really is. The first is our money. You'll know what's really important to you by what you throw cash at. The second is our time. What did you give a lot of your time to? And thirdly, our thought life. What is it that consumes the thoughts in our minds, in our, in our day-to-day lives? I'll share that, a revelation I had, if I may be vulnerable. Stay with me, there are only two more points to go. <laughs> you know what I've realized using myself as an example, is I really struggle with my reputation. Another thing that I think about most is what people think about me. And there are certain ways I tend to spend my money in order to create an image or a persona of Matt Johnson that I think people would admire. And I, was go- I won't tell you what it is, but I was going through my, my, my card statement, I was going, that's it. And essentially, I began to see afresh that it's not just that I want people to like me. I want people to admire me. And that's just a polite way of saying, I want people to worship me. I want people to give me attention. This is where my heart goes. So I give time to think, how did I sign that conversation? I buy certain books so that I know if that topic comes up, I sound clever. I know that when I'm thinking about my, my, my time, I'm spending so much time living into this persona of Matt Jones that I hope people would see and love and admire. That's me. What's you? Is it your self-image? How much time do you sit looking at yourself in the mirror, buying clothes, makeup, doing your hair? How much is it wealth? Do you think about how much money you can earn? Do you spend your life working yourself to death? For the sake of security in money? Do you spend your time planning your portfolio? Do you think your thought life about how much cash I can secure for my retirement one day? Or to buy is the pride in possessions to have that TV, to have that PlayStation? Friends, we are driven. And the way we know what we love and what is a treasure to us are those three things. And as an aside, that's why we give. Because it breaks that. We give God our time we give God of our money and our ties and we give God our thoughts. I don't have time to go into that but you can stew on that one. This week, check those three things out. Third point is we have to keep our hearts clean and pure. Friends, what happens to us is and I've seen it with Marina, it's my best kind of example is when I start to get locked into my own world and my own ways, I forget her needs I forget what she's dealing with and what she's going through and what she she desires, and it comes as a surprise to me when it comes up, when she'll express something, saying, "Matt, I need you to do this for me, or I need you to. Be, I'm not coping. I'm going. Co- oh, I didn't even realize because I'm so wrapped up in myself. What I've realized is it's the same with the Lord. Is if we don't guard our hearts, is we lose a sensitivity. To the Holy Spirit. And that fleshliness in our hearts, that softness, is us regularly, daily keeping our hearts tender through a sensitivity to God's Spirit. And what that means ultimately is we be quick to deal with what comes up in our hearts that grieves Him. And so this morning, We be quick to confess our sin and I'm going to end here is there a struggle in your heart this morning between Jesus and you is your heart clean before the Lord and you'll know it because until it is clean the heart is restless we have no good conscience and so even coming into the presence of God It's difficult for us because there's undealt business with the Holy Spirit and with Christ. And what I'm talking about here is holding on to grudges. So if somebody's done something against you and you just won't forgive them, there will be no peace in your heart. There will be no cleanness between you and the Lord and that person. And until you deal with that, your heart will be wide open to the enemy. And this morning, some of us have to leave here putting relationships right. Stepping down and saying, I'm sorry. Not only to the Lord. Remember, we have to love our neighbor. We have to keep bringing in our relationship with that person that we've grieved or that person that we have not forgiven in our hearts. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And friends, the heart will be wide open to the enemy until we are at peace with God and with those around us and a determination to stay there. And this morning, I want to ask you, are you at peace? Are you clean in your heart with the Lord and with those around you? Because until you are, until I am, we're in trouble. And so, I'll recap briefly. I'll pick up the fourth point next week have you taken stock of your life particularly your heart this morning and do you do it daily I want to encourage you as you wake up from that pillow first thought into your mind is Jesus is alive you get your heart warm towards him but assess when you put your head down at night during the day assess what is the heartbeat of your heart towards Christ secondly what is your treasure those three things Where's your time going? Where's your money going? Where's your thoughts going? And thirdly, keeping our hearts pure. Are you at peace with the Lord? Have you confessed what needs to be confessed and put right with Him and with those around us? And have you and will you be determined to stay there? Let's pray. I just feel this morning to ask the question again who is Jesus to you? my friend if that is you this morning and you're going you know what I have never come to this place in my heart where I have bowed down I have received I have submitted I have surrendered I have taken hold of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior And perhaps this morning I just get a sense that you feel like, Lord, I am just too rotten for this. And maybe you've even done it before in the past, but you've been so disappointed with your track record. And you just feel like this morning, how can I possibly be right with God? This sense of having peace with God, that's out of my reach. I want to say to you this morning from God's word that Christ is not far from you and just like that scribe had Jesus in front of him this morning he is standing there saying will you receive me he is knocking on your heart he's saying will you receive me as your Lord and Savior and that means will you make right with me will you just confess that yes that stuff that you're holding into that you're ashamed of you bring that to Jesus you say Lord I'm so sorry for it and you give that to him and this morning you say to jesus i need you i want you you say that to jesus i need you i want you and would you just say to jesus in your heart i want to live as best as i can for you don't leave this place With the revelation before you. Because it might not be so clear tomorrow. It might not be so clear this afternoon. If Christ is knocking this morning, now is the time to respond. This is His grace to you now. Lord, and for us as a church, we just want to come and say we don't want to be people who honour you with our lips. But our hearts are far from you. And this morning, I want to pray for us to have a reconciliation between our faith and our hearts. That Lord, this morning, the reality of this call of loving you with all of our hearts, God will be afresh this morning. Help us be wise. Help us be vigilant. Help us to be responsible in guarding our desire for you, our level of openness and submission and affection towards you, Jesus. And would you speak to us about the things that we hold on to, Lord, where our treasures lead us, Lord. Our hearts are so restless, Lord, running after these things. Would you just show us, would you bring us back to a place, Lord, of having undivided hearts for you. In Jesus' name, amen.